So we're, we're going to tackle 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10 today. And uh, so before, before we jump in, I wonder if you have felt weak at all lately. Uh, maybe you can indicate somehow if you have felt weak lately. Um, I imagine some of you have. Maybe some of you have felt physically weak. Uh, maybe you've been sick or frail for this reason or that. Um, some of you maybe feel a little weak due to aging or maybe you're just tired. Maybe you've felt a little mentally weak lately, uh, overloaded with news, decision fatigue, and this new reality we're navigating, um, stressed out due to details that uh, you're having to work through. Maybe you have felt a little socially weak, uh, unpopular or lonesome or isolated or something like that. Maybe emotionally weak. Uh, in some way or another, I wonder if you have felt weak lately. If so, this passage has really good news for you. And uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to read the very end of it first, uh, all the way in verse 10. The bottom line of our passage today is, For when I am weak, then I am strong. As Christians, we can embrace this Christian paradox of weakness as strength. When we are weak, then we are strong. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. We'll work our way through the passage, starting at verse 1. Um, I'll, I'll read verse 1 after I pray for us. Father, thank you for giving us this time together virtually. We need so desperately to stay in fellowship and to build each other up in Christ. We need to be doing that for each other. We need uh, each other to do that for us. And I pray that that would happen even in this limited and second best kind of way over Facebook right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start at verse 1. Paul is moving through a list of things that he could boast about. And he's doing this, uh, he says, like a fool would do it. And he's purposefully mirroring the way these Corinthian false super apostles have been talking in order to undermine their arguments. So the way he's been talking in these passages is not the way a Christian normally would talk. He's doing it ironically in order to undermine these boastful Corinthian false teachers, false ministers. And so he, he introduces our next section here in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 12. He says, I must go on boasting. In, in other words, it's necessary that I keep talking like this to get my point across to you Corinthians. I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he's about to introduce a whole new topic of boasting. He has seen some things. He has seen visions and revelations of the Lord, unlike anything you and I have ever seen, unlike anything these Corinthians have ever seen. Just got a phone call. I put it on Do Not Disturb, but it's still I still get disturbed. Uh, his point in going here, as we will see, is that even having great visions and even having great revelation from the Lord, supernatural visions and revelation is nothing to boast about. It's no reason to feel like you're something special and something awesome. So let's read the first part of the, the passage and see what, he's, what he means. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. 
And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Okay, Uh, if you were able to follow that, and if you're following along in your Bibles, you've probably got tons of question marks popping up over your heads. There is a lot of mystery in these verses. Uh, First off, why is Paul talking... Who is he talking about? He says, I know a man who was called up into the third heaven and into paradise. Uh, Everybody, all the experts seem to agree. He's talking about himself here. Uh, Why is he talking about himself in the third person? Uh, It it looks to me, and it seems like from reading other commentators, that he's doing that as another layer of irony to further shame and undermine these boastful uh, Corinthians and uh, so, so by putting himself at arm's length from from this this man who experienced these visions and revelations, he's further he's further highlighting the awesomeness of it all in some way. And then there's the whole notion of the third heaven and paradise. What is he talking about? Um, just real simply, looking at how he has used the phrase of heaven. And the, the idea is similar to this in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about God's realm, uh, where, where God the Father, in whatever way you can say that God the Father is in a place, God is in what, what Paul is referring to here. Back in chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, uh, we see that this, this notion of heaven is where our eternal house from God will be, is contrasted with our earthly home. Uh, But mainly the big idea is it's with the Lord and the direct presence of the Lord. And then he goes on and he repeats twice whether he experienced these visions and revelations in the body or out of the body. He's not sure. God's sure. God knows. But Paul couldn't even tell you if this if he was experiencing this physically and in his body uh, or not. Again, more mystery here, and this this opens up a big topic of conversation for us who are part of the Advent Christian denomination, who uh, haven't caught everybody who's watching right now, but uh, it's probably most of us. Uh, these are big questions for us, and it, it automatically makes us think back again to chapter 5, where in verses 6 through 10, he talks about being at home in the body, is being away from the Lord, being away from the body, is at home with the Lord. Um, these are difficult passages for us to wrestle with. Just the plain, simple reading of them seems to indicate that Paul felt like those were two options, home and body or present with the Lord, or present with the Lord and away from the body. Um, Here, he indicates that during these visions and revelations, he doesn't even know if he was in the body or not in the body. He couldn't tell. Um, it's, It's just all very mysterious. And I have to tell you, in preparation for this devotion, I spent a lot of time looking at a lot of scriptures, trying to figure out the best way to try to clarify all this for you guys. Uh, And then by the time it came three o'clock, I decided I really have to set all that aside. For one thing, I was just getting mentally tangled up anyway. Uh, For another, this is a uh, 10 to 15 minute devotion. 
and uh, there's just not time to iron those out. But for the main reason, Paul makes no attempt to clarify it here. Not for the Corinthians, not for us, not even for himself. He seems to just have thrown up his hands and said, well, well God knows what happened with my body during all that, and, and I'll never know, or I'll know in the end, perhaps. Uh, I think the reason why he doesn't go into great detail about it is because of what he said in verse 1. There's nothing to be gained by it. He said, I'll go on boasting, and though there's nothing to be gained by it, I'll go on into visions and revelations. These visions and revelations, they happened 14 years ago, and by all appearances, this is the first time Paul has even brought the subject up. Uh, if you had experienced this, I will bet you would be posting on Facebook immediately when you came to your senses and telling everybody in the world about it. That's not how Paul responded to it. He felt like this was some private experience between him and the Lord and that it really wouldn't serve to build up the church. So he didn't even really talk about it. Um, here, he only brings it up in order to further undermine the boasting of these false apostles. He's basically saying, whatever these guys are claiming to have seen and experienced, I guarantee I've seen and experienced even greater things, and it doesn't matter. That does not validate my ministry. It really, There's really not much to be gained from, from uh, me going on about these experiences. Incidentally, this is one reason why I don't tend to get too excited about books like Heaven is for Real or, you know, these books where people um, claim to have experienced the afterlife in some way. You know, I don't, who's to say where those things come from? I'm not saying they're invalid or valid. I'm saying there's really not that much to be gained from it. Uh, there, we have our source of spiritual nourishment comes from the clear preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ, uh, not by getting sidetracked into these mysterious things that are beyond our current ability to grasp. And so he goes on, he just, he plops all this out there, this crazy um, mention of these revelations and visions that he saw. And then he says, uh, I don't even fully understand it. Let's move on to what really is important to boast about. Starting in verse seven, he says, it's better to boast about our weakness rather than our strength, rather than our accomplishments, rather than even our visions and revelations that God has given us. If we're going to boast, the best thing to boast about is our weaknesses. And he explains uh, as he goes on into verse 7. He's going to talk about some more of his weaknesses here. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations— a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Okay, so here we have even more mystery. What is this thorn? What is he talking about? Is it something physical? Uh, we get indications from some of Paul's letters that he may have had some trouble with his eyesight. Is he talking about losing his vision uh, or something else physical? It was a thorn in the flesh, which usually is referring to your physical body. Is he talking about moral temptation? We know from Paul's writings that he struggled with sin the same way we all do. He said, uh, the thing that I know I should do, 
I don't do. And the thing that I don't want to do because I know it's wrong, I do. And he's very frustrated at times with his own uh, vulnerability to temptation. Is that what he's referring to? Is he talking about something relational? We know that he experienced a lot of opposition and persecution. Is that what he's talking about here? Is it just purely spiritual? He says it was a messenger of Satan. What in the world does that mean? That's some kind of unique language scripturally. Is this like um, is this like Job where God allowed Satan to cause a great deal of suffering in Job's life? Is that what happened with Paul? He doesn't elaborate, and all we can do is speculate. And all the, the um, uh, commentaries I consulted, basically that's where they landed as well. After exploring the, the range of options, they basically said he, he just doesn't say exactly what this thorn was. What we can say is that the purpose of the thorn that God gave him was to keep him from becoming conceited to keep him from coming overly lifted up and exalted, from thinking too much of himself, from other people thinking too much of him. Uh, God did not want that to happen. So in context, what he's saying to the Corinthians who hated weakness and who thought that a true minister would not experience anything like a thorn in the flesh, Paul says, more than the visions and revelations, this thorn validates my ministry. Because God loved me enough to give me this thorn to keep me from being conceited like these false super apostles. If you see a conceited minister who thinks very highly of himself and is always exalting himself, uh, that is a big red flag because God's true ministers will be kept humble. He will humble them one way or the other. In Paul's case, it was this mysterious thorn um, So he didn't want to boast in his accomplishments. He didn't want to boast in his visions. He didn't want to boast about his revelations. He wanted to boast about his weaknesses. Why? That was a very unpopular way to go back then. It's still unpopular now. Why does he advocate for boasting in our weaknesses? In verse 9, he makes it really clear. And as you read the commentaries on 2 Corinthians Uh, It's generally agreed that this is the summit of the letter right here. This is the peak, the climax of the whole letter, verses 9 and 10. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is the bottom line, really, of the entire letter of 2 Corinthians. Don't fall into worldly notions of power and strength. Embrace the Christian paradox of when we are weak, then we are strong. Those things we seek to escape uh, in terms of our weaknesses are actually the opportunities for us to most powerfully experience the grace of Christ. Um, For Paul, he wasn't a great speaker, and God used his preaching to really establish the whole Christian movement that is continuing on today thousands, two thousand years later. 
Paul seemed weak in terms of worldly wisdom, and it was through Paul that God established spiritual wisdom encoded in Scripture. Um, Paul seemed weak in terms of status as a lowly tent maker, and God used Paul to speak to people of, of all statuses. Don't be ashamed of your weakness. Expect God's greatest power to come through those weaknesses. That's where you're going to experience it, in the area of your weakness. Uh, As a church, we're going to experience God's power most where we are weakest. As a denomination, we're going to experience God's power where we are weakest. Uh, As the church, the capital C, the global church, we're going to experience God's power where we are the weakest. So let's embrace this Christian paradox of weakness as strength. Uh, We don't need to try to be strong. We need to rely on God's strength through Jesus Christ. When we are weak, then we are strong.